one, I'd love for you to uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We are starting our third week on this one verse, Isaiah 9, chapter 6. And as you are getting ready and getting the notebooks out and uh, all of your notes and everything ready, I was reminded just a few seconds ago, um, Christmas songs are a blast to sing. They are difficult for a band uh, for, because that we, you don't practice them all year long and different things like that. And they're actually written pretty in pretty interesting keys and stuff like that. So I want to thank these guys for doing all of that for us the last uh, few weeks. It's been great. It was my first year of being in ministry. I was up at a church in the Seattle area. I was the youth pastor there. I was the youth pastor, the sound guy, the janitor, the young adults guy. Uh, it was just whatever the kitchen sink was thrown at me, you know, type of thing. And it was the first Christmas that I had the opportunity to be at a church away from home and working up in the Seattle area, like I said. And we had this intern, his name was Luigi from Italy, and Luigi was with us, and Christmas morning was actually that Sunday morning, and we were taking communion, and Luigi uh, didn't normally help with passing the communion emblems around. We had the communion trays, and we would pass them from row to row, and there's like 700 people, so it took a long time to do this. And so Luigi decided he was going to jump up and help. Never, you know, had done anything like that. And you wouldn't think that you would have to do training very much to pass communion trays around. But oh no. Oh no. And I was I was running the soundboard and uh, so I was sitting there and Luigi grabs, uh, had this beautiful Italian, of course, suit on for Christmas, and he, he takes the communion tray, and you know they start passing them around, and he's waiting there for it to get to the end of the row, and instead of grabbing the tray around the edges, he grabbed it in the center, and if you've never known what the communion trays are like, those pop out. And so he takes his tray and he grabs it like this and it just goes, woof. And there's communion juice, there's grape juice going everywhere, all over his suit. And everyone for a second was like, and then everyone just cracked up. I mean, what else could you do? What else could you do? And our, our, our pastor got up there, Phil, and he was just like, uh, well... Uh, we need another tray of communion. Hold on a minute and all of that. But uh, just a memory that I saw, was thinking of right there. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I thought I would <laughs> share that with you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders... And his name will be called, we did this one already, Wonderful Counselor. We did this one last week, Mighty God. And by the way, Daniel, great message last week. This week, Eternal Father. And next week on Christmas Eve, Prince of Peace. 
as it says in verse 7 there, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Amen? These names for this child to be born, the son to be given, the one who will reveal to us the amazing attributes about who God is. This third name, Eternal Father, strikes a deep chord, I think, in a lot of people's hearts. And I, and I, and I think this message today will as well, not because I'm confident that the sermon itself is going to be moving, but because the theme itself can't help us but move. The theme of fatherhood. Eternal Father. My kids are now in their late 20s to mid 20s. And I love it when I walk in and when Micah maybe walks into the house and he goes, Father? <laughs> Those of you who know Micah, that's, that's all he's ever called me. And then my girls who just say, still in their 20s, daddy. It's, it's, an, it's an acknowledgement of a special relationship. You see, the truth is, is at the end of the day, you want me, and this is me talking to my kids, you want me to be dad. You, you need me to be dad, to be father, not Scott. Friends call me Scott. And in doing this special relationship and this title, it's, it's not that we're giving our parents an elevated title or position that only belongs to God, but our earthly parents are worthy of honor. We are to honor our parents daily in the Spirit. Exodus 20, verse 12, Matthew 15, 4, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3. And some of us have wonderful memories of our childhood and our fathers. Others, the thoughts may be more painful. Father may have not been good to you, may live with scars from that, hurt, wounds, damage. Others, it wasn't that your father was bad or good. Maybe he was just gone, absent, maybe physically, emotionally. A few of us around here, your dad wasn't a part of your life because maybe of death. And you may even have a sense of struggle, of being abandoned, even though you know it wasn't your fault or, or his fault, he just died. And the theme of fatherhood strikes a deep chord in a lot of different directions. 
But there's good news in the gospel. Jesus Christ helps us know God as our Father. But not just our Father, as it says here, our eternal Father. One who will never leave us, forsake us. One who is always there for us. One who has us in the palm of His hands forever and ever. Amen. It is the distinctive privilege, distinctive mark of a Christian to know God as everlasting Father. And this is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know God as Father. You don't grope in the dark looking for some higher spiritual power or creator or chase some false uh, erratic deity. No, because of Jesus, this child that is born, the son to be given, you get to confess what you see in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. Now, it begs a question in our world today. Are we all God's children? You know, we're all God's children, right? Well, before we look at how Jesus specifically reveals to us as everlasting God, everlasting Father, we need to address a question that could be surfacing in some people's minds in here. But it's something that is very distinct in our culture around us specifically and around the world. And that's this idea that God's the father of us all. We're all God's children. Well, let's define some things, okay? It is true that God is the creator and the sustainer of all of us. and has a kind of fatherly relationship with his creation, and that would include each and every human being. But the fact is very clear that the Bible does not talk about God as father by virtue of him being our creator. He only becomes father through our redeemer. You see, God's fatherhood depends upon a relationship with Christ. Because of the fall, because of sin that all of us have, none of us come into this world with a right relationship with God. The Bible says that apart from Christ, we're all what? We're all alienated from God, not God's. Children. In fact, the Bible insists that we are actually, and this is just eye-opening if you really understand this, the Bible insists that when we come into this world, we are children of wrath. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, and that spirit with the lowercase s, that is now working in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all, all, get that? We all also, also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, now this is key here, and by nature, children of wrath, even as the rest. If anyone ever accuses someone as a Christian, well, you believe that you are better than someone else that's not a Christian, Ephesians chapter 2 actually levels the playing field. We're all in the same boat. We all are sinners in need of a Savior. And it also lets us know that the universal fatherhood of God, a universal brotherhood of man, is not biblical. God is creator and sustainer and judge, but the Bible, God's word, wants us to understand that he is not the father of everyone. He only becomes our father when we stand in a unique relationship with him. You see, even Isaiah here is letting us know with this term eternal father, we only know God as our father through Jesus Christ, his one of a kind son. None of us have a right by virtue of birth to call God our father. Only one person has that right. Who is that? Jesus. In fact, only through Jesus do we learn to call God Father. Only through Jesus can we call God our Father. You can't have the fatherhood of God without embracing the sonship of Christ. I I get this question all the time from people. Hey, Scott. Christians, Muslims, Mormons, Hindus, Buddhists. At the end of the day, aren't we all worshiping the same God? And it's tempting for all sorts of reasons to answer yes. But biblically, it's impossible to do so. Because if you deny the sonship of Jesus you lose the fatherhood of God. And you can't have one without the other. When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and how many people? No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus. It's eye-opening when you think about it. Matthew 11. And at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. All throughout the New Testament, Paul, in his letters, uses an expression 
the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a way of declaring that we only know God as Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. The phrase answers that question then, who is God? The answer that the Bible and Paul give us is this, God is the one Jesus calls Father. Jesus is, as the Bible says, God's firstborn. He is also God's one and only Son. And just so you know, that blows Mormonism apart in that one phrase right there. Because they believe that we are all brothers with Jesus in the literal sense, spiritually. And that's not true. There is a one special relationship between God and Jesus. Uniquely God's Son. God is uniquely Jesus' Father. They enjoy one-of-a-kind relationship of Father and Son that none of us have or ever will have. And within that Trinitarian experience, which is absolutely incredible, And this is why we often find Jesus calling God my Father in Matthew 10. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And if you are disowned before, if Jesus says, nope, do not know you, is God your Father? Not according to this verse. We only relate to God as Father through Christ and through the adoption that is found in Christ. This is the beautiful thing, everyone, about what we're looking at today. Because of what Jesus has done for us in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, in his sacrifice, in his suffering for us, it enables us to enter into the same relationship with God as our Father, as our everlasting, our eternal Father. Jesus opens the way to us through adoption. We only know God as Father because Jesus Christ, His Son, because He sends His Spirit into our hearts to enfold us into the family of God as children of the Heavenly Father. How many of you know people who have been adopted here on earth? Most of us probably know some people. There's a really neat phrase that's used to talk about the hope that adoptive families provide for orphaned children. Many orphans will be passed from family to family. And if you've ever seen the Child Protective Services situation here in California, it's awful. Kids just in the middle of the night dropped off at someone's home and how are they, you know, how do they feel, right? How do they feel? I got a phone call this week from one of our CEF workers and saying, hey, could we help out this volunteer that had five children dropped at her house 
uh, at like, you know, 11 o'clock at night because the mom died and they had nowhere else. And so this was a distant relative and they just showed up with five kids and said, hey, here you go. No financial help, nothing. And we were like, of course, we'll help. But can you imagine how those kids feel? And they're passed from family to family, from situation to situation, three, four, five times. And then they age out and have nothing. Right? It's difficult. Insecurity, uncertainty, a lack of understanding of their place in the world, their value in the world. They literally feel like they're nothing. But adoptive families talk about this term forever family. The bond of adoption. It's not the same as the bond of blood and biology, but in some ways it's even more powerful. Because you know why? Someone is saying permanently, I love you. I care. You no longer have to call me Scott. You can call me Dad. It's powerful. Well, God has a forever family of which He is the eternal, everlasting Father. And that is what we became a part of forever when we accepted Christ as Lord. And nothing will ever change that. The adoption is final. The bond is secure. God the Father never changes His mind on the adoption. Decides to stop being your heavenly Father. The one who has secured your adoption through His sacrifice, Jesus Christ, always lives to do something. He intercedes. He intercedes for us, guaranteeing the bond endures forever. So to the Spirit, the Spirit then is sent to formalize the adoption in our lives, not temporarily, but permanently, forever and ever. We are sealed by the Spirit. Our adoption is guaranteed for how long? Eternity. We are, by faith in Jesus, part of God's forever family, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, becomes our everlasting Father who says to His children, who says to you, who says to me, to says, He says to anyone who will look to Him with the faith of a child, these timeless words, I will never leave you or forsake you. You are mine, part of my forever family. I've got you forever. That's amazing. To know God as your everlasting Father is a privilege beyond description. Because we get to say He is our Father. I love the way 1 John puts it. Puts it in the right sense of wonder and amazement. 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called what? Children of God. And it doesn't just stop there. John doesn't just stop there. And that is what we are, exclamation point. It's a privilege. It's a gift. When you know God as Father, not as a simple cosmic force, it changes the way you address God, doesn't it? It changes the way you pray. You learn to look to the Father in prayer with a childlike boldness. And this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Childlike boldness to our everlasting Father. Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? And we learn to approach God in prayer with this vulnerable dependency We find ourselves maybe in a difficult spot, some sort of pain, some sort of fear, some sort of doubt, some sort of hardship. We learn to cry out with the words of Christ, Abba, Father, Daddy. See, when difficulty comes into the life of a Christian, Yes, you know what? You can feel like God is further away sometimes. Anyone ever feel like that? Maybe less available. Maybe feel a distance, a gap. But don't miss the example of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed this way. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, Not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was feeling so much pressure in his life that his capillaries were literally exploding underneath his skin and he was sweating blood, which is technically possible in stress. But it's a stress that I don't think any of us have ever seen. But I could also go, yeah, makes sense if he's about to take on the sins of everyone. But what did he do in that time of need? He prayed to his father. He prayed to his father. And every one of those times that we sit there and we go, man, God did not answer it the way I wanted it answered. There's obviously Jesus knew what needed to happen, but he also knew, man, if there's any other way, take this cup. And how did God answer? 
No, we're going to follow the plan. And what did Jesus do? He followed the plan. And he died for us. The Christian who lives with the intimate knowledge of God as Father learns to live out his or her faith in light of the knowledge of God as Abba, Father. And we can remember that the spirit that we receive does not make us slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought you about, he brought about your adoption to sonship. And as it says in Romans 8.15, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You need to strive for childlike boldness and vulnerable dependency in your relationship with God because God is your everlasting Father. Now, let's get to the text as we start the sermon. I'm just kidding. As we round the last corner of application here, I do want to make something perfectly clear. Jesus, as everlasting Father, does not suggest that the Son is also the Father. Each person in the Godhead is distinct. Actually, if you took the Greek, or I'm sorry, the Hebrew, kind of dissected it in, in how it plays out, the words should really say in a better sense for us, Father of Eternity. Now the lights start going off a little bit. You see, among the Jewish people, the word Father meant originator or source. Satan is the father of lies. If you want anything eternal, you must go through Jesus Christ he is the Father of eternity. Yes, He is our eternal Father. In ancient times, the Father of the nation was viewed in much the same way as the Father of a family. It was the Father who was to protect and to provide for His children. Jesus is the head of the church. In the same way, this child to be born will become a king who will be a father to the children of Israel. Jesus will, he's, he, he intercedes for us, right? So he's protecting us. He's providing for us. His role as protector and provider is not limited by age or death. His role as father, protector, provider continues for how long? Eternity. Father of eternity. Now, just how this will all come about isn't revealed completely in Isaiah's prophecy. 
the full identity of the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity who will protect and provide for his people by his death and resurrection on the sons be, uh, on their behalf and on, for the Gentiles to be grafted into the family of Israel. It's, it's hinted at in Israel, but, but God's people would have to wait almost, eh, give or take 700 years to see the Messiah revealed in the fullness of time, as it says in Galatians 4.4. But you know what? We have the beauty of sitting on this side of the story. We have the awesome ability to ponder what Christ has done and ponder the fact that Jesus is the timeless one. Oh yes, he's the one who invaded time to rescue us from sin, to rescue us from ourselves. He is the father of eternity who has given his life so that we may have eternal life, eternal peace with God and with one another as family. It's amazing. And so when we look at this scripture and we understand that he is the eternal Father, the Father of eternity, the one that has birthed the church into existence through his sacrifice that will be forever with God, that we can now call God our Father, is amazing. And at the end of the day, I get to call him dad. I get to call him father. And for how long do I get to do that? The Scott Julian way of saying it is for a long time. The biblical way of saying it is forever. And that's a pretty long time. And that's a glorious time. He is the mighty God. He is our everlasting Father. And He is, as we will look at next week, the Prince of Peace.